You're listening to the SEI podcast series, brought to you by the Sydney Environment Institute at the University of Sydney. Well, good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. We are a small but perfectly formed crowd. (laughs) Now, to open the event tonight, which is called Changing Our Food System From Within, I would like to first of all hand over to our lovely guest, Yvonne Weldon, who is going to not only welcome us to country, she is going to involve us in a yarn. Good afternoon, sisters and brothers. As was said, my name is Yvonne Weldon. I'm a Radrigman from Cowra here in New South Wales. I'm from the waters of the Clare, which is also known as the Lachlan, and of the Murrumbidgee Rivers. I am the elected chairperson of the Metropolitan Local Aboriginal Land Council, who are the culture authority under the Aboriginal Land Rights Act for the land that we're on. I'd like to pay my respects to all elders past and present, to all First Nations and to you and the many nations of lands that you travelled from today. It is always a humbling privilege to provide a welcome to country. For me, it is a profound honour and a luxury of time, time given by you and time with the many warriors that started the traditions for all of us. A welcome isn't just words, it is a reflection of where we are, not this modern day place, but the continuous link of life, lessons, purpose, and nurturing supplies. The boundaries of our traditional owners are embedded into the earth's natural landscapes. The boundaries of the Eora are the Hawke's River in the north, the Nepean in the west, and the Georges River in the south. On behalf of the Metropolitan Local Aboriginal Land Council, the elders, and the members, I welcome everyone to the land of the Gadigal. I acknowledge Gadigal people whose spirits and ancestors will always remain with this land, our Mother Earth. Wherever you travel across this beautiful continent of ours, understanding entering lands of nations, tribes and clans existing here for over 60,000 years. The First Nations of this land are the oldest living culture of the world. We are the most resilient, unique and sustainable people on the planet. Traditionally, across these lands and our waterways, we shaped, we traded and we shared. For necessity and not for empires. Our sharing and our trading brought our people together. It created our sustainability, encouraging our innovation and keeping our ancient practices alive for our future and for everyone's future. There are many Aboriginal warriors that have crossed this land before all of us, creating pathways before there were any. And to give respect and honour, could you all please pause for a moment to remember the many sacrifices that have been made along the way, the ones we'll continue to make and the ones we shouldn't have to. As you connect, learn and share today, tomorrow and beyond, continue to learn from my people's ancient practices and bringing into the world our practices into all the worlds and all our communities that we exist, never losing sight of the important work that still needs to be done to bring my people, your people and all our peoples together. Don't live regretting what we should have done, but create the legacy of what must be done, making real changes and not just symbolic ones, working in partnerships equally. All of us can make positive changes to each other and to this country now and into the future. And speaking of our future, let us, in these times of this pandemic, think about what social distancing means to us. 
we shouldn't be making this socially distance in our absence from each other. We must maintain that physical distancing but not creating barriers to our social connections. So whether it's for your work, your family or your connections, creating an inclusion and acceptance and a resilience. All of us together can bring about positive changes to multiple generations because we are in this together. And last year, we had the deferred week of NADOC, which was with the theme, always was and always will be. So whether you think about the land, my people's culture, the history, or the devastating impacts of past and current times, or the resilience of my people, know that the answers to the questions for everyone in this country should commence with the voice of Aboriginal people first, because we are the first people of this land. So with that said, let us all draw upon my people's spirits as we continue on our journey. May my people's spirits walk with you and guide you as we strive forward for us all. Again, on behalf of the Metropolitan Local Aboriginal Land Council, welcome to Gadigal Land. This always was, always will be Aboriginal land. My name's Kate Johnston. I'm part of the Food Lab team. Um, I, my ancestors come from England and Scotland and I grew up on Gadigal land, Sydney, and I live and work on Gadigal land. Hi everyone, my name is Ben. Um, I'm the operations manager for uh, the University of Sydney Union. Um, I've been sort of uh, leading the way for the union in terms of our sustainable development and how we can operate effectively on campus. I'm really excited to be a part of this panel and appreciate particularly you students taking the time to come and have what we uh, take a chance to listen to what we have to say, um, particularly what the project is that we're working on. Sean Christy David, I am from Plated Ford, which is a charity around food insecurity. Um, my background and heritage is Sri Lankan. Um, but born and raised in Sydney. My name's Alana Mann, and I'm the chair this evening, but I uh, grew up on Bajala land in southeast Queensland, and my mother's family came to the Mary River, past Kagari, Fraser Island, in the 1800s, late 1800s, and I always felt just so incredibly lucky to grow up in such an amazing, beautiful place. So, all of us have contributed here tonight in one way or another. Our linkages may be from different continents, from different cultures, and even different religions. But all of us exist together, and we can only do it if we work together. So, thank you. Thank you so much, Yvonne. It's always lovely to see you, and thank you for being such a big part of all the work that we do. Well, that was a lovely way to start. And I want to thank everybody because it's quite confronting. We were just saying earlier that it's a bit weird being in public with people now and it's a bit nerve-wracking even being on a stage at the moment, to be frank. But we, we are so grateful to have such a, an open audience. We're going to have a really great discussion. So this is going to be a very interactive evening. So as I mentioned, I'm chairing this evening. I'm part of the Food Lab team here at the University of Sydney, and we're going to hear a bit about that tonight. You've met our speakers, in effect, and I'd like to say a couple of special thank yous in that regard. First of all, to all of them for joining us. I'd like to thank the Sydney Environment Institute for hosting this event tonight 
and also the University of Sydney Union, which has been a really incredible part of a very vital network of organisations providing food relief during COVID. And um, that's really our theme tonight. I'd also like to thank Genevieve Wright, who organised the event from Sydney Environment Institute and the whole SEI team. So tonight's event is part of Environment Week, and that's run by the University of Sydney Union, who are also uh, our hosts tonight in terms of the wonderful food that we're going to receive later as well. And I'd like to also give a big shout out to HostCo, who are the organisation that Ben is actually operations manager of. So how we're going to run tonight is, first of all, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the issues. Just to tempt you, there's going to be a little bit of a survey later because we're going to really try and dig under this issue of food insecurity and just how it impacts on students on campus in particular tonight. But we know that the campus is not an island. We know the, the campus is embedded in community. And I think that one thing that COVID's shown us, and I loved what Yvonne said about this, is the whole process of social distancing has ironically made us realise just how linked we are. And it was really surprising, I know, to me as someone who does research in food, to find that uh, Food Bank, which you know had been doing collecting a lot of the data on food insecurity every year, but especially last year, reported that people, there were probably 15% um, of the Australian population going to a food bank before COVID, that's risen to over 30 during COVID. And we found that international and domestic university students are some of the people most affected in this particular community. And as food banks say in their report, the hungry aren't who you'd always think. So that's one thing I'd like us to reflect on a bit tonight. We obviously are all here because we're really interested in this issue. So without any further ado, I'm going to hand over to our speakers. So um, Ben Penny, who was introduced himself just briefly before, he's going to talk about some of the big challenges on campus when it comes to food. And he has a really exciting new proposal he's going to share with us, which is a very collaborative effort, a community kitchen project, something that we're all sort of secretly um, pinning a lot of our hopes and dreams on, I think, for the future. Sean, who um, is the co-founder not only of Plate It Forward but also Colombo Social. If anyone needs a good fix of fabulous Sri Lankan food, just head down Enmore Road. He is an incredibly imaginative and innovative person, I think, because he's managed to apply his problem-solving skills not just to keeping a business sustained during this really difficult time, but also giving back to community and also helping people know what to do with the food that they do when they receive it in food relief programs, which is something we'll talk about today. And finally, my dear friend and colleague, postdoc on the Food Lab project and also editor of a beautiful food magazine called Counter, if you haven't um, come across it before, Kate Johnson. She's going to talk about what we've been doing in Food Lab, what it is, Food Lab Sydney, and some statistics and other findings that have emerged from the research we're doing alongside that food business incubator. So our first speaker is going to be Sean. I'm just going to ask Sean to talk for 10 minutes about his story from a social enterprise perspective. So 
we, we touched on culture and we touched on heritage. Um, and when we started Colombo Social, it was, it was a multiple, multifaceted reason to do it. Um, one of the major reasons was what I've now known as the term as third culture king, I believe, or third culture clash, which is similar to what we've mentioned before uh, in, in the audience. Um, and Omar touched on it, which is growing up in one area, having your heritage from another area and having two feet and not really knowing where you sit. Um, we have people that have come from, from 10 years and, 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 and earlier. Um, so are you Australian? Are you Indian? When you go back to, to India, sometimes they go and look at you with your Aussie accent. Um, and, and I know that uh, was my kind of thing. And, and kind of uh, growing up in southwest Sydney, it was a bit of embarrassment around being Sri Lankan, you know, the food. Um, when every, every other kid had Vegemite sandwiches, I had, I had curry and dal in my sandwiches, you know. Um, and that wasn't cool at the time. It, was, it stunk. Um, and, you know, you get teased about it. So when, I, when, when we opened Colombo Social, it was a, it was a way for, for myself to really own my heritage, really own being Sri Lankan, really, really, really claim it and say, I'm gonna, I, I was once embarrassed by this, but now we do 600, 700 more sometimes a week customers, and I'm going to give them the food that I grew up in. So all the, all the menu items and the, and the, and the kind of... Traditional food is my mum's recipes. She teaches our chefs how to do it. She teaches some of the, some of the best chefs we've ever met how to, how to use traditional Sri Lankan cooking techniques. Um, and that's how the restaurant... That was one of the ideologies behind the restaurant. But the second was around our employment strategy and how do you build long-term kind of career pathways for people that, that haven't had them. Um, and, and our group stands for the re redefinition of equal opportunity. So in the restaurant, we started working with asylum seekers um, and using the customer experience um, with asylum seekers to, to help with that, their, their, new, their new home. Um, better English, colloquial. Um, I remember the first time uh, one of our asylum seeker staff dropped the, dropped the C-bomb. Um, I'm like, yes, you're, you're Australian now. <laughs> um, and that was our mark. Um, but, you know, it was that, it was that transition point. Um, so that was kind of how Colombo Social started. And then uh, during the pandemic, it's kind of where it went from a restaurant to something that, that links us up with, with many other people and some, some amazing, incredible individuals um, and organisations. And, and it's kind of where we started our food relief program. Um, people were really, really struggling. I got a phone call from, from one of our mates at Mission Australia and, and he said, we're, we're, we're going through some difficult times and, and our vulnerable community members aren't uh, able to access food. So we, that first week we boxed up whatever was left in the restaurant and then started a... a a food relief program from a restaurant which we never really knew would happen um, and started donating about 1,000 meals a week. Um, as of this week, we've donated over 60,000 meals since uh, well, less than a year. Um, and we, 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 we do that. And, and we, we stand by doing restaurant quality, really high-nutritious, high, high newly, uh, healthy meals um, that also communities can, can, can get behind as well. So we're not doing quinoa and, you know, fancy salads, um, but we're doing, you know, meals that, 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 that get vegetables, get, get fresh produce, and we've, we've launched a partnership with Sydney Markets where we're taking excess food um, from the markets and, and, and fresh fruit and vegetables and using that in our, in our meals so that we're, we're, we're kind of doing a food rescue converting to a food relief program. Um, and then the, the next transition happened. <laughs> if you guys... I'm kind of sorry. It, it kind of evolves very quickly. Um, but one of the one of the one of the aunties, when we sat down and had a conversation, and said, "What more can we do as a charity partner? We, we want to be more than just food." Um, and I'll say what she said. Um, pardon the French. She said, "Our people are bored and they do dumb shit." Um, 
And we went, explain. And she goes, well, if you're, you're 20 times more likely to be incarcerated if you're Indigenous and unemployed, you, you, you don't have pathways, you don't have community role models, and we don't have employment pathways that are set out. So we went, well, our whole methodology behind why we started was education and employment. So then we started to look at who cooks the food, who, who's the team that delivers that. So we started a training school for people from marginalised communities who were on our food relief program to actually come in and be the team to do the food cooking. So we've got a training school that's a six-month paid job, um, but learning from some of the best chefs. We've got yeah, celebrity chefs that kind of come through, um, Kylie Kwong, a few others. Um, we've done a lot of food trucks with, with University of Sydney um, Union as well, and, and getting that, again, that real-world application through, through really talented chefs. So that's kind of where we've evolved to, and sorry if I've kind of cut into my time a little no, bit and things lovely. like that. But You've got, we will come back to you more though. Yep. I've already got already got questions. I love that who cooks food and for whose benefit. Hmm. Because it really reminds me of a lot of the, the conversations around how we grow food too. Who grows food, how we grow it and for whose benefit. Hmm. Yeah, there's something deeply powerful about knowing the person that cooks something hmm. that you're a food recipient of. So that's my mate or that's my cousin or that's my or that's my nephew. Um, and they say, we, you know, we, we walked in, um, and that, that's a meal from Huey. And they're like, oh, shit, it's Huey. Great. You know, and they, and they really like that. So knowing, and, and, it's, and it's lived experience that kind of drives everything. Every, every business decision or every social decision or anything that we've ever done, and there's more that we'll, we can chat about later on um, about where the next steps are, um, is, is driven from someone from the community that said, this is our need. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm experiencing today. Um, and then we employ them to be the team that collectively solve it. So it's not us. We don't, we don't understand the day-to-day. Um, we want to help, um, and we want to use whatever skill sets we've been lucky enough to have, but collectively with their skill sets, their lived experience. And one of the best comments that I've ever been told from a graduate from the training school was, um, uh, what do you teach? Uh, and he said, you teach us how good we are. That's, that's what it is. We teach people how, how amazing, how talented, how skilled they are um, and skills that they didn't know they had. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of the program. Thanks so much, Sean. So we'll move on to Ben, who has, you know, really turned, I have to say personally, I've noticed how you have turned university food around. And I want to thank you for that because what you've been doing on campus, pushing sustainability, um, the way the place has changed is actually really visible and really delicious as well. So can you tell us a little bit about what has changed and what your role's been and what you'd like to do? Really good segue into how I was going to start. Um, I'll start by saying I have no masters in sustainability, um, but I'm particularly passionate about both social and environmental sustainability. My background is in hospitality. It's all I've ever known. Um, I studied hospitality Um, I've been really passionate about food and beverage, customer service. Over the years, I've kind of um, shuffled around restaurants, bars, hotels. I landed at the university as a bit of a lifestyle change, um, getting away from working weekends, and it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me in terms of my career. Um, It meant that I came to Sydney Uni um, at a time when we, the university experience um, with the onset of Uh, international students and the growing demand for more cultural uh, appropriate foods was happening. Um, When we started at the Union, 
um, we were renovating some of our restaurants and cafes to go away from the old chips and gravy and really poor high sugar diet. Um, everyone drank a lot of alcohol and there was no food experience. Um, I felt that at that time I was part of a pretty unique group of people that were able to realise that that is no longer appropriate. Um, and that was sort of the shift and what Alana mentions. Um, we opened a couple of different restaurants with a real focus on on more sustainable diet, uh, healthier options, um, starting to really focus on more of the uh, vegan and vegetarian options, which at the time was you know, not as important as it is now. Um, that sort of started a real shift in, in the way students enjoyed food. Um, and then over the years, I kind of, as the, the needs and the demand changed, um, I found myself involved in different areas that I thought I could sort of contribute and really deliver a bit of impact on. And, you know, around two or three years ago, the focus was all about plastic and what we do and how we improve that and, and you know, reduce single-use plastic. And it's great that Crystal's here tonight from Hidden Sea Wine because it's a really great example of what is important um, in that area. Um, but my one great passion was always food and how we can, you know, address the issue of food insecurity um, within our student community. Um, the stats then were one in four students suffer food insecurity, and that doesn't mean if you're at Sydney Uni or Greater Western or anywhere, any other university, what I sort of was seeing is I'm involved in what is arguably the most prestigious university in Australia, and those figures were there in plain sight. Um, it was something I was really mindful of and really you know, passionate about wanting to make a difference. Um, and how we could then, what sort of started for them was how myself could collaborate with different people um, using, you know, quite a large commercial business to be able to leverage other people and, and get other people involved to ultimately support our student community. Um, fast forward um, even a couple of years, to about two years ago, we're obviously really heavily involved with great organisations like Oz Harvest Food Bank. Um, and they were great organisations to, to work with, but we, we extended that from a point of looking at sort of where we're purchasing. The, the example I always use is our cafes all use a particular bread, and at the time they were using Sonoma. And I thought, why are we using Sonoma when... You've got an organisation like the Bread and Butter Project who are employing refugees and asylum seekers to provide a, a bread that sells a story and delivers a social impact. So that was the kind of turning point we went, well, if we're going to start to make those decisions and, and utilise those supplies, let's really go hard and realise that that's what our students want to see. And it's an investment in the long-term sustainability of our businesses where some of those products or, or supplies may be more expensive, but we're delivering a social good and, and, and working with social enterprise. Um, COVID kind of happened, and at the, right, at the same time, we were at a point of USU was very strong financially, commercially. We were able to do everything we wanted to do, spend extra money on different initiatives, um, and then it all sort of happened, and we basically went from, like Sean's business and, and everyone knows about, but... The USU suffered a, basically a 97% reduction in financial viability. Um, and for a few months, we sort of sat on our toes and chefs did nothing and we kind of figured out what are we going to do. And then this bloke 
um, came knocking on the door uh, through um, people like Katrina at, at Food Bank and uh, Food Lab and uh, Kyle at Mission Australia. And it just kick-started what I really wanted to, to work on and, and be a part of because we were at a really low point where all of our staff were obviously sitting around doing nothing. So we thought this is a way for us to re-engage our staff and to re-motivate them to not only potentially deliver you know, a, a really important impact in the community, um, but to keep them employed or engaged and, and happy with what they were doing. Um, so that's sort of where we started on this journey of the, the project that we ultimately want to achieve, and that is a community kitchen on campus um, in a location that will become really the hub for sustainability and education and research and employment, um, social impact on campus, um, which is something we've always worked to, but this has really accelerated that, that program and that desire to, to want to make it happen. Um, and we have significant uh, financial support and, and corporate support to make it happen um, so that we can get people like the, your sustainability students involved in this project so that the initiatives and the idea of the uh, UCID sustainability strategy that, that David was instrumental in is to develop a living lab experience. And this, to me, is the epitome of that demand on the living lab and making sure that we have a living, breathing thing that we can all work in together to not only support students that are food insecure, provide employment and training and pathways to uh, mentor people from disadvantaged or low socioeconomic communities, but then also the USU's own clubs and societies that we have 30,000 members that are looking to cook and learn and, and do th things around food for. Um, so that the project is, is enormous, has enormous potential and, and long-term impact. Thank you, Ben. That was, that was a really good insight into your motivations as well, which are all good. <laughs> so our third speaker, before we open up to have a more general discussion that includes everybody, is uh, Kate Johnson, who I mentioned before is our lead researcher, really, as a postdoctoral um, researcher on Food Lab Sydney which is a, an Australian Research Council-funded project that was inspired by the fabulous Food Lab Detroit, which I'm sure she'll talk about a little bit too. And um, your first thought might be, as mine was when, when I first heard about Detroit, I thought, Detroit, I've never been there actually, but I know it's very different from Sydney. So how is this going to work? And that's what we've basically been finding out for the last three years. And um, I'd like Kate to talk a little bit about it on behalf of all of the food lab labbers here and um, just tell us a little bit about herself too because I, I think Kate embodies um, what we're trying to do at Food Lab which is connecting people across a really vibrant foodscape that's full of all these people who are really passionate about food, people, chefs, restaurateurs, innovators, but also people who eat, and that's all of us. And um, Kate's done some amazing things in the food world, even before Food Lab. So over to you, Kate. Thanks, Alana. Um, I've just got to say it's really exciting to be up here at the university, but on a panel with, um, you know, the, where the speakers are mostly non-academics. It's, it's, um, it's where it's at. 
And this is why this project is so exciting, I've got to say. And one thing I want to do is also sort of talk about the role of research in this project and how we can kind of connect with and support um, the fabulous work that these kinds of community projects are doing. So, yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um, Food Lab first and then the role of, of research. So, as Alana said, Food Lab has... Um, uh, a quite different kind of origin to Food Lab Detroit and some of these other projects in that it kind of started off as a, a sort of theoretical project um, that was inspired by these sort of innovative global projects. And we've worked really hard to kind of ground that project here and in the community. Um, so, as Alana said, it's an ARC project. It's, it's called Linkage Project, which pretty much means we step out of the university and we, we link... Um, in with industry and we um, work with industry closely um, and, you know, create a project and research that's really led by um, what's happening outside the university as well. So this project, um, our, our partners are TAFE New South Wales, the City of Sydney and Food Lab Detroit. And um, it arose out of... Um, some similar stats that you've heard already around food insecurity in the city of Sydney, but also a, a, a need to think of alternatives to the food charity model. Food charity is so important, but it doesn't always get to the root cause of, of the problem. So um, Food Lab Sydney is about kind of em empowering individuals and also um, fostering food systems change. Um, so it's it's offering a, a I guess hopefully a transition away from from that model, but a sort of a complementary um, alternative to food um, the food relief. Um, it joins a whole lot of other really innovative, excellent projects that are happening around the world in the food policy and and um, community um, food action space. Um, and essentially, it's uh, the program. Um, is a training program, so it has a business component and it has a kitchen skills component run through TAFE. Um, but it's more than that. It's about building networks and relationships and it's also about promoting good food principles and practices. So when we talk about um, good food, we're, I guess we're really trying to inspire a new generation of food entrepreneurs to create businesses that are fairer, sustainable, um, more diverse, um, more inclusive. So that's what we're talking about. So a few stories from Food Lab, um, and these are coming from Jamie, who's not here tonight, um, who's the program facilitator. Um, so he, he wanted me to share um, Mark, one of the former um, uh, the alumni. He founded a vegan cheese company called Delectico. Delect um, and currently they're supplying, he's supplying to IGA and Harris Farm, which is, is fabulous. Um, Justine, who founded Indigibites and went through the program in 2019, she's currently um, sells her native bush foods to um, cafes in Glebe and will also be on campus tomorrow at the USU truck cooking up some delights. So go along there, 10 till 4, I think. Ten till three. There you go. Um, Sarah, who founded Pope's per, uh, Produce, um, which is a backyard market garden, she expanded her operations 160% through the program. 
since joining the program. Last week they had a demonstration day where 18 of their participants um, brought their, their food along and um, then we had mentors and, and guests come along and taste things. So they were able to sort of have their food exposed to all these different people. So that's a, just a little bit about the program. Um, but now I want to talk about the research and what we're doing and why research is important for these, these projects. I've got three things I want to um, talk about. So firstly, research is important to find and analyse global case studies, and that's something that we're doing at the moment. So providing deep analysis of, of um, food system policies and grassroots activities that are happen happening around the world. And this can help to assist like project creation and development. Uh, we can learn from what other you know, um, how other groups are, are problem-solving in the food system space. So it's really important to be able to kind of go, right, let's, you know, do a deep analysis of, of what's going on around the world. Let's learn from that. Let's, let's you know, open up a dialogue. And um, so that's something that we're, we're doing at the moment, what has, hasn't worked in, the, in different contexts. Number two, evaluation. Evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. It's really important because otherwise we're just kind of going off, um, you know, a hunch. Like, I think it's going really well or there's a lot of activity, so we must be doing something right because we're doing a lot. Um, it's really important to be able to kind of work closely with these projects and, and evaluate. So this is what we're doing at the moment. We're currently evaluating the Food Lab Sydney program. So we're kind of deep in, um, you know, numbers and interviews and all sorts of things. Um, so we're looking at two things. We're looking at, at individual change and food system change. And that's what we're evaluating how we're um, talking to people, essentially. We're, we're do talking to people at the beginning of the program and at the, um, after they've completed the program. We're doing surveys at the beginning of the program. Um, we've got some focus groups coming and we're talking... And we're also looking at activities and relationships that have been formed and, I guess, you know, analysing what we would say is the network or the community and, and the community connections. Um, so, a few, a, a little bit from the research um, now, um, it, we're right in the middle of it, so we don't have all the kind of final, you know, um, uh, analysis, but uh, we can say we have 78% female coming through the program, 46% um, were, were born overseas, coming from 16 different countries, 32% uh, haven't gone to university, and 20% of our participants have experienced homelessness at some point in the past. 28% uh, come from low-income houses. So, um, you know, there are various vulnerabilities running through the, the, the cohort. Uh, one thing that we're finding, and it was really great to hear um, that you're, the people that you're working with were talking about confidence, because that's something that keeps coming up for me in interviews. And also, um, Jamie's done a little post and um, pre and post survey. And people are saying, I, I've, I'm gaining confidence. That's what's happening here. I'm gaining confidence in my knowledge of business. Um, and I'm also gaining confidence to get out and speak to people and connect. And connections are so important um, in, in the world of um, food business, right? 
you know, relationship support, you know, being able to say, hey, um, like, I'm going through this, what are you guys doing about that? All, all sorts of things. Um, so confidence is, is what we're finding. Also relationships. Um, the program's doing really well at connecting people. Thanks to Jamie, Jamie and Katrina, you know, there's this, um, we're part of a really thriving um, food um, system in, in Sydney, food community in Sydney. Um, over the course of a 10-week program, a participant will be exposed to up to 50 different people in the food community. Uh, across the, yeah, Sydney's sustainable food system. So we have over 150 mentors and guest speakers join the program since 2019, um, including, you know, famous chefs like Josh Nyland, um, lifestyle photographer Louise Brimble, um, Michael Clausen from Brasserie Bread, on and on and on. Um, overall, we've connected with 300 different social enterprises, businesses and individuals. Thank you, Katrina and Jamie and, you know, and the team. Um, we're also finding that the group has an interesting um, diversity story. So, um, you know, the group comes from a lot of different cultural and linguistic backgrounds, but also different kind of socioeconomic backgrounds. So, it's an opportunity to kind of break down silos and... Um, as one participant put it, she said, it broke my bubble. Um, and so that's something we're really interested in and I'm wanting to find out a little bit more through, through our interviews and talking to people. What's, what, what's the benefit of that? You know, are we going to see more just kind of food um, businesses come out of that through this sort of um, mix of people and hear, hear from his stories from you know, outside of their kind of their bubble. Um, so th there's some things that we're finding. So back to my third point, what does research do? What can research do? Um, and what are we, we doing? Um, so we're also learning how to be good researchers and be a good um, university neighbour and be part of a community. The university... Um, I think historically it's sort of forgotten that we are actually part of a community. And so this is, this is a big part that, that um, Alana is actually leading um, her, her research. Is, you know, how do we listen to the community need and how do we um, connect our research and how is our research, um, how do we collaborate um, with people in the community to do research? So... Um, one of the first, first things we did was set up an advisory board made up of community members and um, we run regular kind of interviews and, and um, have done a, a focus group with them. And um, so it's, yeah, it's about looking at the university itself and how it um, is placed as a... Um, uh, what we might call anchor collaborative, so a, an institution that's part of a number of other institutions and that connects in and, and uses it, some of its resources in the community to do good. And this is what this project is really about, right? This is what we're, we're trying to, to do here with um, the community kitchen on campus rather than somewhere kind of off campus. Um, so... 
yes, I think that's that's probably this. Uh, one thing to say is it's a really challenging area. We're not historically used to like our institution is not used to doing that kind of research so it's it's slow and it's a it's like turning a big ship right um but but projects like this are kind of um are (laughs) are where it's at um so in terms of the project that that we're here to talk about tonight and and that ben um just you know sketched out um, we see Food Lab as part of that, that we could r- run our programs um, from there. Um, and we can also, there's a role for research in this community kitchen. Um, so a few things that we, we could do as, as researchers, um, you know, work closely with USU, Played It Forward, um, other um, community organisations that are there. Um, understand better student experiences on campus and student um, experiences of food insecurity. Um, Evaluate the programs that are running at that um, kitchen uh, hub. Um, Mobilise resources, so um, researchers who are are doing really interesting research that might actually connect in with some of the participants coming through or the participants, you know, saying, hey, I really want to research into this area you know, then, like, well, what have we got going around? How can we offer some support um, for your product or your idea? Um, also, researching around sustainability, you know, um, how can we effectively deal with waste? What are some practices and innovations that we can come up with? So, research could play a really, you know, great role in this community hub. Another shout-out to the... Um, the food tomorrow on um, the, the market food and go and say hi to the food lab. Some of the food lab team will be there. Um, Justine will be there and yeah. Thanks, Kate. That was a great overview and thanks for the stats too because this is, as Kate said, it's a real, it's a real challenge in a way because it's a three-year research project and we ended up creating, in effect, a training program and the research feels like it's only beginning in a way because some people, as you can imagine, have an idea that that takes years to come to fruition. And if you have an interruption like COVID, you're set back a little further too. So it's been a a very interesting process, but I agree the, the growth and development of people has been absolutely magnificent. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions, but I, want, I would like you to think while I'm asking a couple about what you'd like to know, because we've got about 25 minutes before we go and have a fantastic feed, which is being created at this very moment by Food Lab participants, USU staff and Plate It Forward participants. So we're eating tonight, we're eating, we're eating our words, if you like in a way. This actually goes to my first question. Uh, given that we're talking about sustainability as well as food relief, can I ask particularly Sean and Ben to tell us a little bit about what you think you need to do in terms of procurement, in terms of where you get your supply of material before it goes into the kitchen and becomes this brilliant quality food? Yeah, it's an interesting point because COVID really, everything went out the window uh, with the onset of Uber Eats and Deliveroo, um, where 
obviously plastic and the focus on you know the environmental impact became so least important um, even a good example of that is currently um, for the last four months we've set up a, a food hub in partnership with food bank that was funded by study new south wales um, which was targeted to specifically support the international student community um, it's a great initiative and it addressed the food security of, of those students on campus that didn't have easy access to perishable goods, uh, or dry goods, I should say. Um, but it created you know, a more of an environmental impact where we have a lot of cardboard and, and waste out of that. So it's trying to balance those two areas and, and, and sort of decide what's more important. And in that instance, and obviously throughout COVID, it was about addressing food security and getting food to students or community members as quickly and as safely as possible. Um, during COVID, we did a lot of meal delivery. Um, the USU was, was supporting students in accommodation, some of which that were in isolation, um, effectively in quarantine, um, which you probably don't hear about in the news, but it was a bit of a big problem for the university um, that we helped support. Um, kind of stemming from that, um, not so much the environmental thing, but that's where it really became quite pronounced for us is that real social isolation and the discord between students sitting in their room, us delivering food to them and, and running the other way because there's this health crisis. It was really quite scary to see and, and Sean and his team and everyone, I see Kyle's just arrived for Mission Australia, everyone involved in that food relief, they all saw the same thing. It was great to get food to people but there's no human connection anymore. And, and that's something that I'm really passionate about trying to bring back um, on campus specifically is getting students back talking to each other over the power of food um, and particularly international students talking to domestic students. We work so hard to, and the university drove that, um, trying to get you know, the cultural connection between those two areas. Now there's just this massive divide there's not many international students on campus, but they're going to come back. And when they come back, we need to connect them via, via food and community. Um, and that's what Sean does so well. Yeah, I might just jump off question, but on to that point that, that um, Ben's, Ben's articulated. One of the core fundamental principles that sit behind the community kitchen um, and one of the core fundamentals that sit behind everything we do um, is how do you harness the power of food for change? Um, and food is the soft entry point for a whole heap of other social changes because there is no hierarchy. Today we will eat together after this and it's the same meal. It doesn't matter if you're um, the richest person in the world or, or not. You, you, you eat the same thing and you, you do it together. That's why we do everything collectively over food and, and using that as our, as, our, as our means for change. And when we look at the social aspect of the community kitchen and one thing that we're super, super excited about um, working on this project with, with, with USU and, and, and everybody here um, is that connection that is going to happen. So COVID was, was as, as Alana mentioned, was ironic in that it brought people together while keeping them apart um, and food did that. Um, now, one thing that we do um, and why this kitchen is so important um, and, and the, whole, the whole methodology is that we deliver a thousand meals to people that are lonely. Um, we deliver a thousand individual meals each week to people that are going through hard times. That includes 200 and something, or a bit more than that, to international students 
um, across a fair, fair variety of universities. Um, we talk about our First Nations community out in Redfern. We're talking about asylum seekers, refugees, and all these people who are left lonely or have to stay at home for various reasons. Um, and they can't do it. And we're working a lot in the disability space as well. So people that physically can't because of health conditions or, or whatever it is. Um, but what we're doing is a digital platform, which is one of the most exciting parts of this whole thing, which is eating together while being kept apart. So being, uh, and, and we're partnering with Facebook on this and, and, and Facebook and, and, and Deputy, so two, two of the biggest technology companies in Australia, if not the world, um, are kind of coming on board on this and, and, and using a method where we deliver the food to a thousand people each week and they go online and sit down and eat that meal together though they're by themselves. Um, and that is, that's why the restaurant exists. We're trying to recreate that. Um, we're doing community dining meals. We're doing a whole heap of stuff with Mission Australia um, and community cooking classes, a whole heap of stuff. So we're doing digital cooking classes for people that, that are going to be kept at home as well. So that, that connection through food is, is super yeah. important. Um, going back onto the question about probably our supply chain mm. um, and, and where do we procure our food from, and that, that's a very, very important decision for us. Um, both as a business, um, so how do, you, how do you balance commercial uh, things with ensuring that you have the best quality produce? Um, you know, sometimes we can go over the top and, 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 and that's going to cost another $30, $40 per person when they go and eat there. So how do you balance those two things together? Um, so when we looked at the, the, the food relief program and, and how do we make this sustainable, how do we make it long-term and how do we make it go forever um, in perpetuity without compromising on the quality of food um, we then went and got a partnership with City Market. So we realised that we went to the vendors and the market holders themselves and said, do you have fresh produce? Is it, is it, is it, is it healthy and stuff like that? Um, and, and then we did that. But when we look at our supply chain, we try and incorporate as many social enterprises, uh, local farmers. Um, we, we go, we're, we're looking at partnerships with guys like uh, South Everly Rooftop, which does a lot of native um, kind of really, really, really... And we took um, 30 or 40 um, people from uh, Redfern... Um, who had, you know, a lot of them stolen generation, a lot of them don't go back to their childhood roots, and to see them go through the rooftop and smell some of the, the native herbs and stuff that they grew up with and went, oh, my God, that's brought back a dish from my mum or that's brought back something, and the nostalgia, and food's about nostalgia, um, and to see that, and I always say, what's your favourite meal? It's not the meal. It's not the food taste. It's the nostalgia and what's been created around that that makes that meal so important. So to relive people who you know, 40, 50, 60 years of being separated from family and to hear them go through and experience that, um, it's magical. So, so we try to get as many social enterprises or, or organic farmers and things like that um, into our supply chain so we know where our food comes from and it's important to take our students out there as well to see that. That's great. Thank you. Such a network of strong relationships that I think are really not visible to a lot of people as well. Now... I'd love to hear a question from the audience. Yes, Please. hello. Uh, well, I should say, um, what a me. Hello, everybody. Um, here we are on beautiful Gadigal country. It's great to hear about um, Indigenous foods, which is going to be what my question is about. So I'm Jackie Troy. I'm the Director for Indigenous Research at the University of Sydney. And I, I know he's going to hate this, but this is my new student, Kashev Khan, who's just um, joined us. He's one of the few that seem to have got through in the exemption. I'm delighted to have him here. And I think he would be very interested to be hearing about our efforts to support students with food um, sustainability. And um, he's come from a place where 
students look after each other um, as we do here, but he's an international student, who, so I hope we'll all welcome him to our community. I, I, I must say I, I love the way the food culture on campus has developed. I was particularly excited when we could pick up free coffee mugs so we didn't have to throw away yeah. you know, paper cups and things. I thought that was a great initiative. I loved seeing the boxes of food growing and I've um, taken sneaky handfuls of things at times. I'm, I'm just wondering about um, Redfern and um, the integration of Indigenous food culture into campus. Obviously, I should have said I'm Narigu from the Snowy Mountains in southeastern Australia. I've just been on country and... Um, I am thinking a lot about, you know, our food culture. Um, I would kill for a wallaby kebab. So if you ever put them on the menu here, I'm happy to shoot them if you want to plate them up. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, what, um, I'm interested to see. Maybe a bit more sort of um, a kind of more obvious engagement maybe with um, like those Gadigal um, Davison brothers <laughs> um, who are horticulturalists and foodies. Um, maybe we could engage a bit more. It's really, really poignant question um, and, and something that we're not, we're not Indigenous, so we, we, we make that very clear. However, um, with our training school and, and our employment strategy around that and, and, and the people that come and work for Plato Ford in that capacity, uh, we have a 50% minimum Indigenous um, group of budding chefs to come in there um, and, and, and teach us. Um, it's a training school um, and it is, it is one of the chefs that, that kind of runs it who's, who's, who's very, very experienced, but it's a two-way learning street um, and it's where we go and we say, talk about your dishes from your, from your background and it could be wherever the background is um, and how do we learn from people uh, from all over the world, but, but in particular where, where, where we realise that Redfern is one of our, 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 our key charity partners and our, our, our key communities, um, how do we support them in a culturally appropriate way by having people that are Indigenous to come in and be, be our team? To, to, again, we talk about our, our, our employment methodology, which is having people with lived experience to be the team that solve all the problems with us and share their experience, share their insights and share their knowledge that, that it's hundreds of thousands of years of collective knowledge that, we, that, that have been passed on to us um, and our wider team. So, so we've, we've had, off, of, off the seven chefs so far, we've, we've had five Indigenous um, kind of come through, uh, and that's, that's a really strong mandate for us, um, as well as learning from some of the aunties who come and teach um, some of the class. So Annie Beryl's come through, um, and a few others to kind of come through, and, and we, we, we consult with, with a couple of different food um, so Clarence from, 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 from South Everly, people like that to, to pass on knowledge. And, and you know, when we, when we look at, when we look at um, everything, it's, it's ensuring that it is, it is really, really um, culturally appropriate for everything we do. And, and I know that when we, when we look at some of the stuff that, that's going to happen here and has happened here, Ben's, Ben's been a really big driver of that as well. Um, so ensuring that everything is, 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 is using community to be, to be the, the, the team's. Yeah, to that point, thanks for coming, Jacqueline. Um, it's something that our executive chef, Matt, and I are really passionate about. And the, the best way I could explain it is we're sick of selling cheeseburgers and chips at our food truck. Um, it's what students generally want. But this why this week, it's basically all an Indigenous menu. Um, we're willing to take that risk. We want to see students enjoy a food that they may have never tried, whether that's a kangaroo or you know, a lemon myrtle, something or other. So it's, it's something we want to be innovative with um, and really, you know, respect the, the land that we're on and the community that, that we're a part of. 
um, to, to really change that culture when you mentioned food culture on campus and it just makes so much sense to be able to you know, demonstrate that commitment um, in, in different ways. And one of the big things we wanted to get off the ground this, this year for Enviro Week was an Indigenous cooking class. Um, we did one today with Oz Harvest about zero waste. Um, but the, the Indigenous cooking class is, and, and demo is you know, born out of Sean's ideas and how we can all work that together as well. Because we have this amazing infrastructure on campus and access to students in person and remotely um, to really continue that conversation. I'll, I'll just touch on, and, and, and just really quickly, there's so many people doing their master's sustainability here. You are doing it in the best university, in the best country ever. We have the most sustainable uh, community that's, that's done, done for hundreds of thousands of years, that, and you've got access to that within this, within this country. It is incredible that, that the, 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 the practices that were developed by, by our First Nations people that are far more advanced than some of the stuff that is happening today through all the technology. Um, and I remember taking one of the big corporates out there and I said, uh, large organisation, I said, you need to learn from, from our First Nations people about sustainable business practices, but are sustainable. They, they, are, they pride themselves on being one of the most sustainable companies in the world. I'm like, hold on, learn, learn. And we did some, we did some, uh, some, some, some lessons from, from, from really some, some senior elders to kind of go through and do that, which is... You're super blessed to be doing it in Australia, um, and, and my, my thing is to, to learn these practices because it is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. I guess it, it's also something that we've been really um, thinking about a lot at, at Food Lab from, from the early days, and one of the first things that we did was work with USU and Yarn Australia to put together an event that where we saw aunties come into the kitchen and direct the menu and cook side by side with um, Matt and his team and sit down and have a good chat about food and community. Um, and then I guess it's something that we've sort of slowly worked on and Katrina, um, as the person who's been sort of reaching out um, to community, to a lot of different communities, I guess it's been about building relationships and they're, they're slowly building. Um, and I won't say we've got really high numbers of Indigenous people coming through the program where we're listening to, you know, reasons why they aren't, are and aren't. Um, uh, we definitely do have um, some Indigenous um, uh, people in the program doing amazing things. Um, as I said, Justine's going to be at the um, store tomorrow and, and um, so forth. But it's about kind of, yeah, building those relationships and listening to the community and, and um, seeing how, you know, a, a program can kind of respond to, to community need. And I'm not saying we, we have it all, all, you know, the answers, but, you know, it's, I guess, our intention is to, to listen and, and, yeah. Firstly, thank you for sharing your stories. Um, I was really interested, thank you, Kate, for talking more about Food Lab. It was uh, last year in the old existential 2020, I was weighing up, do I do a Masters of Sustainability or do I sign up for Food Lab? Not sure if I made the right choice now, but still happy, you know. It sounds fantastic what you're doing. Um, so following along from what you've, you both mentioned, uh, Yerabinjan, the rooftop garden, I'm mostly interested what you think the, uh, the future for urban agriculture in Sydney is and how that ties into the food system, sustainability. You've talked a lot about um, 
the social connectedness through food. But um, how do you think that like urban agriculture and people's connection to food can connect them to the environment and to sourcing of food once again? Yeah, I'll take that because um, it is fairly topical. Um, part of the, our project, and um, I'm not sure if anyone else, apart from maybe David and I, can talk to the sustainability strategy that was developed by the university um, during 2019. That was formally announced in September uh, last year. Um, what was heightened then is that there's all this great infrastructure and, and research and, and operational um, practices happening on campus. And one of the things that was really the big thing is there's a community garden over on, uh, on the other side of campus. And that's kind of where we were, were floating this idea of, of a, you know, a community kitchen space to be able to source food locally and, and utilise that space. Um, so the infrastructure and everything's here on campus. Um, and it's why also USU partnered with Farmall to really drive that urban agriculture and, and uh, healthy food systems and source things locally. Um, so we're really committed to that and utilising what we have on campus rather than uh, outside. Um, so it's part of the plan is to re-energise the community garden and get students and the community back involved um, without having to change anything. It's already there. So, so we're using an environmentally friendly packaging solution uh, that's fully compostable uh, and we met with them and, and the University of Sydney Union will, will be switching over if they haven't already to, to Biopack, which is a great, great, great uh, uh, com, uh, packaging system. Um, and we went, well, this is great. Um, what's going to happen with that compost? And they said, oh, we don't know. So we're like, well, we're dropping a thousand meals off each week that, that are getting composted. Why don't we use that compost to then create community gardens in the spaces that we're going into. So we're in Redfern. We go to Redfern. We drop off the meals. The food waste that goes and the scraps from the food waste and the packaging itself, which is compostable, goes back, gets processed, re-put into fertiliser that goes back into the soil to grow native gardens for people to be part of. So in social housing, you have grey blocks and grey blocks um, and we look at what Mission Australia, we're doing something similar, very Mission Australia, they've got some great groove-ops gardens on theirs. I'm like, why don't we use the food waste to go back into the gardens to create employment opportunities? We will, put, we will source our, our food, our herbs and our spices and things like that and our, our curry leaves or whatever it is for our restaurants for our meal donation program to come back from the community so we're providing employment. So it's a circular nature, um, it's sustainable. So, so it's not only just... Compost, it's then nostalgia. Then it goes back to what we were talking about before. But then it goes back into employment opportunities and creating these and creating life in social housing. So you can see green, you can see, you can smell, you can smell it, you can feel it, you can experience it. And that whole nature is what we're looking at with, with guys like Mitchell Australia, guys like the Department of Community Justice and a few other places to put, to brighten it up, but create employment pathways, but also really healthy, great food. And if we're gonna have discussing great buildings, why don't we use I think it's is it permaculture where you kind of grow on the grow on the grow on the buildings? I don't know the technical word. I'm not, not. I don't know. I'm not very smart. So these guys are. Um, but that's the kind of modeling is how do we just grow really cool stuff on the on the on the to, to brighten it up as well as creating really good um, urban farming. I I was trying to sort of get beyond just like my wholehearted passion for yes. <laughs> There's got to be more. Um, Alani, you've you've done a lot of research in this area, so you'd probably be able to 
add a little bit more, but um, I think there's a lot of things happening in microcosms across Sydney and, of course, across other cities around the world. And we know it's possible um, and we know it's really effective um, on a number of levels, um, not only for feeding into the food system locally, but also educating people, educating children um, about, you know, how things are grown, about how to do compost, um, being able to kind of, you know, get your hand, hands dirty. And like Pocket City Farm, you know, it's a functioning farm. It doesn't take much space. Um, and I, I don't have on top of my head the, the stats of how much produce is, is created there. But there are also sites for kind of really innovative things happening, you know, how to use water wisely, how to beekeep in the city. Um, so it's, it's, we have space around here. We're, we're in Sydney. We do have a lot of space. It's just sort of gathering the, the forces and doing that kind of groundwork of working with lo local councils, working, you know, it's about relationship building and getting over those hurdles of, of, um, of various, like, um, I don't know, legal, um, you know, various, various aspects that you have to get over to, to make these things happen. But you know, they are happening and they are part of this kind of beautiful network of um, local sustainable food. And yes, um, Clarence Stockey's um, rooftop native garden is, is one of those examples. You know, it's just, yeah, brilliant work. Let's see more of it. Here, here, definitely. And it's very um, apparent too that, you know, while urban agriculture won't necessarily feed the world. I think we're going to have a few buildings that need to be used differently in the future. You know, people have learned that we can live and work a different way, so who knows, maybe some opportunities. We just decarbonise energy and we can have all those vertical farms and fantastic things. Hi, guys. Uh, this is a broad question and it's open for the panel. Um, so I'm an outsider from Australia and um, for me, uh, when it comes to culture, uh, food comes up to mind. And when it comes to that aspect, I feel like Australia is lacking a bit because off the top of my head, I can't really think, you know, when you mention Australia, like what's a traditional dish from Australia? Um, my question is, why do you guys think that is the case? Um, and, and second, um, do you think that maybe one day... Um, like a cuisine or some sort of dish from First Nations people can become a like the official traditional dish that maybe people all around the world can think of when they think of Australia, like, oh, that dish. I love that question. <laughs> um, and I think about it a lot. Um, yes, I hope so. Um, but if it's led by Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, and whose dish is also, it, like, it, it complicates. I'm sure Jackie has a lot to, to say on it. I hate to say this, but that's kind of a very white point of view, like a really non-Aboriginal point of view. Um, and I really, I hear you, because I think if I ask my new student, even though we've been talking for nearly two years now, um, to immediately name an Australian dish, he probably couldn't do it. Um, it might be something international. But... I mean, I feel like I live in this world where I'm walking between glass doors. I mean, 
most of my life I'm always surprised, oh, there are, un- there are non-Aboriginal people in Australia. That's literally my life. So I don't know what your favourite dish is, but like I, I wasn't joking about wallaby kebabs. Maybe the kebab thing's kind of an innovation, but, um, you know, I... My world is around... I like wild... I mean, I've grown up shooting and eating and gutting and skinning and, you know, fishing and... <laughs> shooting, front, hunting, fishing, riding. You'd think I was English, actually, but I'm not. Um, but it's... Um, you know, that's kind of... So that world is hidden. I walked through the rivers where my people are from um, in the Snowy Mountains last week... And all the white fellas, they're lovely. They're from the Conservatorium of Music. We were doing a, a, a performance of a song we've reconstructed from my country, which is all about making the snow happen, by the way, so that, so that all the things we like to eat will keep happening, you know? Um, and I just walked around the river and I came home with... I've got axes and my mum said, oh, that's a really beautiful tool for smoothing hide. So it just left there. Now, my mob have been pretty much out of that country... Um, in on mass, we were never a big group of people anyway, for 150 years or more, right? And all our equipment is still just sitting there waiting for us to come back. You know, if I'd looked a bit further, there would have been big grinding plates for grains and everything. But the grinders were there. There was I picked up an axe, um, a tool for you know. Um, smoothing leather once you've fleshed it. I got a fleshing tool from further up the hill where there was a quartz quarry. It, for me, it just all leapt out. I read it. That's just... And I'm... Look at me, you know. I'm a professor at Sydney University. I'm, am I a deconstructed or reconstructed Indigenous person? I'm not. It's just... So that's... that's I really want... I'd love to somehow, you know, bring this thinking into all these projects so that we're not so standing outside and that it's not this kind of non-Indigenous view, you know, let's think of something that's Australian, that we all all know it, you know. Kangaroos in our supermarkets now, this is great. Crocodile in some places. Um, but there's this sort of um, two worlds, and that's really how it is for me as an Aboriginal person. And I, um, it's great to have the discussions, and I'm glad that you opened that up. But wallaby kebabs, mate. Right, mate, mate. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the next thing I was going to say is that, you know, we all have traditions, we all have our food traditions, and yeah, there is something quite strange about kind of isolating one um, dish. You know, for me, my food tradition is barley and um, lamb stew that my mum used to make when I was sick. That's my tradition. You know, Jackie, you've got your tradition. So, like, coming up with a nas- one national dish... Um, that is an indigenous dish is highly problematic in in itself. But I think, yeah, look, we we do all have our our kind of traditional dishes and um, maybe we need to rather have a, a national table of <laughs> of dishes but you know it would be quite big and um if if it is you know indigenous led it would involve a lot of different different cuisines different um dishes like i love actually what, what was it um last year at the yarn um the one of the aunties um had a a, a salad that was apple and walnuts and like a Waldorf salad and I was like my auntie makes that too that that was you know from my childhood too so it's sort of 
really like it's properly diverse depending on where your 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 particular you know family history your your um, yeah. And, and the new Australia is so multicultural as well. So there's 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 we're we're again blessed in one of the most most amazing countries with with so many new Australians who who create what we are um, as 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 a dish as well. So. Um, Sri Lankan, you know, there, there's a whole heap of people from the, the Middle East and there's a whole heap of people here that, that, that consider themselves Australians now um, whose dishes heritage is, is, is different multiculturally as well. So uh, it's a great, it, it, it is a great point and, and I think that it's, it's a really good, you know, we could probably sit and talk about this for a few hours. Thank you. Well, we'll we will be continuing our chat over some food, but before we do go, uh, I just want Ben to give us, describe the community kitchen of your dreams in 25 words? <laughs> Just a small challenge. I think we've touched on it a few times. Um, me and Sean are pretty vocal in our desire to make this project happen. Um, I have to go a bit more than 25, but okay. it is so important um, to, I think, us personally and everyone else invested in this um, to deliver impact and to make a difference to the community, uh, to our students, uh, community members, um, partners, um, through addressing food, food security, uh, employment, the mentorship. Um, we just have this amazing resource available to us um, that just needs a bit of a, a, a kickstart um, and a bit of uh, removal of university bureaucracy to get it over the line. Um, and once we do that, um, the doors will open. Um, there's been, a, I guess, a perception by some people, maybe it's for some sort of commercial gain. Um, it's absolutely not. It, it's a major operation for us to undertake um, that has had a lot of time and expense and heartache, um, particularly from Sean and I, um, to get it over the line. But once it's up, um, we see it as, you know, it, it's going to go to great heights and we'd love to get all Masters of Sustainability students involved, the Indigenous strategy um, every area of the university could be involved in this project um, in any number of ways. So I think there's going to be a survey at the end. Um, fill it out and then within your community um, and, and partners and people you speak with and other students, just continue to spread the word. Um, we, we're going to make it happen. It just, it's, it's a matter of where it happens on, on this campus. It's, it's, it's a hub for social change to be done by a collective movement. It's not a plate at Ford, it's not a food lab, it's not a University of Sydney, it's all of us getting together. No one organisation create, can create change um, as, a, as a silo, um, but the whole concept of it is a community organisation with so many people from different skill sets, from academia and, and real life experience to, to people from food lab and, and the underlying um, kind of students there, to, to, the, to the breadth of knowledge of, of, of the university in its, in its full capacity. Imagine a university working with hundreds of thousands of grassroots people to create something amazing and that's what it represents. It represents inclusion, represents food, it represents taking food insecurity and flipping it on its head um, and, and taking that in out um, and talking about like long-term security um, and how do international students who, who don't get exposed to, to Indigenous culture at all realistically during their four or five year um, experience in Australia, how do we connect those two? How do we take experiences from America or, 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 or all over the world to bring that back to our communities as well? So that's what it represents and it represents more, it's more than food. It's, 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 it's a whole 
shifts off the paradigm for, for, for what is food representative of, and that's connection and, 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 and a real community feel. So that's what, it, that's what it is to us, and it's collaboration within people that have typically not been together to come together with community and people that are, that are going through hardships as our core focus, and, and, and that's, us. That's, that's the one that underpins everything, is how do we make their lives better in some way. Amazing. Fantastic. Thank you both. That's a great description. And David would like to add something. Sorry, just to add to that. Um, ben mentioned the sustainability strategy. And one of the reasons we were able to get a sustainability strategy up on this campus is because student sense of belonging in this campus is one of the lowest in the country. And the idea, one of the ideas behind the sustainability strategy, one of the ideas for student inclusion in the development of the strategy was to show that the university can help students to live their values on campus, right? And to create that kind of community. And I think making the argument that a community kitchen is gonna do more of that, is gonna create exactly those kinds of connections, that kind of social space for people to meet across cultures that's the way we're going to get her across the line. So the more pressure we have from students, the more that students bring the same argument up that we need a sense where we belong, a place where we belong, um, and, and do that around food, the more likely it is the university will figure out a way to allow it to happen. Thanks, David. And to kick off the campaign, what we're going to do is collect some data. So we've got a little survey and there's a QR code. There's a couple of pictures around the room as well. So if you, you don't need to worry about whipping your phone out quite yet if you don't, don't want to. But definitely fill out our survey because what we're, what we're doing is we're trying to gauge interest in this thing. And, um, you know, if only everyone could hear your descriptions, I think they would be immediately on board. So that's going to help us take it up the chain to the university executive and um, hopefully the next big thing we build on campus will be one of the cogs in the long food revolution. So thank you for all being part of it. It was lovely to have such an engaged and quite intimate audience and um, your questions were brilliant and thank you for being open to having a really interactive discussion about something that we're all really passionate about. And I'd really like to thank Kate and Ben and Sean especially for their time today. Thank you.